Good morning, Crossroads. So excited to be here with you. My name is Jeff Livingston, and this is my friend, ministry partner. He's on the elder board, and good buddy, John Burgess. And together, we are going to be speaking to you uh, this morning from God's Word. And uh, it's exciting because this morning we are introducing a new series. We just finished up what book? All right. Matt knew where we were at. That's good. For the rest of you, we were in 2 Corinthians for the last like 10 months. So we just finished up that series. And we're going to take um, a moment here to zoom in on our new topic for the next six weeks. And it is Extreme Makeover, Marriage, marriage edition. edition. Do we want strong marriages? Do we want our church to have strong marriages? All right, that's great. Anybody here married? Any of you here been married? I guess those people keep their hands up. Uh, anybody see themselves getting married in the future? Yeah, anybody? No way I'm getting married in the future. <laughs> There's a few of those. Well, I'm excited to uh, introduce this new series with you uh, to you this morning. And we're going to be looking in the Bible at marriages for the next six weeks, marriages from the Bible, and see what we can glean there. I've been married 19 years, and uh, John? I've been married 28 years. 28 years. 28 years. So together, that's 47? Okay, 47 years. 47 years. So this also comes on the tail end of a class that we had. We had a marriage class, 9 o'clock Sunday mornings. Any, uh, is Ron here this morning? I don't see Ron, but I see Andy sitting over there. Yeah, and how long have you been mar married, Andy? 37. 37. So we, together we got him beat. Yes. I was thinking. That's how we're going to do it that way. I was thinking Ron Turner might actually have us beat if we combined it. He does. 57. Nice. Yeah, cool. So just a, a few questions kind of prompt us through this. Just be thinking about these as we, as we walk through this this morning. Um, I'm not going to read them to you there, but you see them behind me. Some different questions there. We're going to be walking through. Actually, I'll read the question. You guys will see the prompt. But why are we discussing marriage this morning? And my marriage is good. Why should I pay attention to this sermon series? Yeah, I know that there's a lot of people in our congregation, you know, that, you know, have been married. They might be widowed. Yep. They might uh, have been divorced or they're, you know, there's just a, everybody here is kind of at a different place or there's yeah. a lot of us in different places but specifically those of you who are married there's a couple stats that we came up with didn't just come up on our own but we, we researched them oh. yeah <laughs> 40 to 50 percent of all marriages all marriages end in divorce that stat does not change just because you call yourself a christian yeah that's that's pretty sad another one is the average marriage in the u.s lasts eight years yeah, I was talking to a lady at Starbucks just the other day that I've known. She works at Home Depot, but I see her at Starbucks. And so she came over and talked, and I said, oh, are you, you, you married with your, to your husband? And she said, no, we, we got divorced after seven years. And, you know, you hear, you hear that a lot. There's, you probably heard the, the three-year itch and the seven-year ditch. Well, uh, apparently the statistic is just about, right on. about eight, eight years on average. Eight years. So another question is, my marriage... I'm not married. Does this apply to me? So Hebrews 13, 4a uh, says marriage must be respected by all and the marriage bed kept undefiled. So Jeff, is this a charge to just singles or is this for us all? 
yeah, this is for us all. I like how it says that. I think that what we have is the opportunity to, to realize that whether or not you're married, God wants us to understand and value the institution of marriage and the covenant of marriage. And I think that uh, he's asking in, he, in this verse that we all honor it. Uh, because like we said earlier, we all want there to be stronger marriages. We've all seen the, the, the decline associated with, 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 with uh, families that, that have to uh, raise like sing, single parenting and, and the challenge that it is to bring up those kids. You know, there's just a lot of reasons that we have experienced for, for, for us to say, yeah, we, we want, it's a good thing to champion marriage and to pursue strong marriages. Even if I'm not currently in a marriage, uh, this might be things to think about as you progress toward marriage. Um, or you could also be an encouragement to those. Let's say you're beyond, you're beyond a marriage uh, for, for whatever reason. You can be an encouragement as you share, yeah. as you share with those who are married and they're, they're walking through it. And we should be pointing back to some of these principles that we're going to be laying out over the next six weeks together and i know just by thinking about this right now there's a lot of of people within this body that that help pour into marriages maybe not directly thinking about that but sharon tanaka and and pam and and miss peggy just how you guys pour into to wives uh pour into our kids you guys are fulfilling this all right so what we're doing is the Home Makeover Edition, Extreme Makeover, Marriage Edition. You know, so like any well-built house, how many of you guys have had to do some uh, renovation? We've been talking about renovation all last, uh, this last series, right? And so as, as you know, like your home is built on a foundation, right? And uh, that foundation is pretty important. So we're just going to take a minute here to think about what are some of the common problems with foundations. We have a few pictures. The first one, this house, how would you like this? Wait. So we're going to be looking at Adam and Eve. Right. And we're going we're gonna to zoom into their marriage for a little while as we investigate the foundation that God has established, the picture that he's painted for, for what a solid marriage foundation looks like. All right, so we're going to look at some pictures here. Now, this, this might get expensive, right? So there's five things that can go wrong with a foundation in general. I watched, uh, I, I got this from This Old House, whoever, who, who's seen This Old House? Yeah, that's a great show, right? So the five common uh, foundation problems, one is settlement. So settlement, that's a downward movement of the foundation. I think that's what's going on here, wouldn't you say? Oh, yeah. It could also be uplift. You could have where the foundation starts to lift up, and that would be a problem too. So, whoa, I don't even know what's going on. At first, I thought this was art. I thought this was like abstract art. Surprised there's no tape around it, like don't enter. <laughs> yeah, so another one would be rotation, where there's a movement of the foundation walls, uh, either inward or outward, or another... Another category was bulging, where, where you start to have movement of the foundation outward. And I guess you end up with a house like that. But cracks, cracks are not good either, right? How many of you have seen, identified a crack in your foundation uh, at your house that's, you know, a cause for concern? 
But all these things can be caused by uh, a kind of a myriad of, of uh, things that can onset, like the weather, weather can do it, seasonal weather changes, uh, like the clay, the ground can swell, uh, poor drainage, things not draining like they're supposed to, or maybe you have some plumbing inside your slab or under your slab that's leaking, uh, trees that grow up around and, and try to cut in underneath. And so I was thinking, like, just, just this was, like, kind of, like, stimulating to me to think, you know what, there are re- common things that can get into the foundation and mess up the foundation of our marriage. You know, just a couple off the top, I was thinking about, um, you know, that settlement. You know, if your foundation is settling, I mean, if you're, I was thinking about the, the bedrock underneath the foundation, first of all, needs to be solid. It needs to be God. You know what I mean? If God's not underneath the foundation of your marriage, if you don't have peace and a relationship and you don't have that figured out yet, you're already building on soft soil. You know what I mean? It's going to be a process to strengthen your foundation if you've built it on soft soil. And so uh, rotation and bulging, I was thinking about... Uh, sometimes in our marriage uh, relationships, people try to introduce things into the marriage relationship uh, that it was never meant to contain. You know, this idea of twisting. When we pursue other things, such as pleasure, uh, or we begin to manipulate others to satisfy our needs, we begin to twist the relationship into something that it was never meant to be. And so, the foundation shouldn't be able to support that. So uh, the last one, I was thinking about cracks. And cracks, cracks is basically like a separation, right, of what should be conjoined. Cracks are those things that create vulnerability in the commitment to stay together. And uh, so there's different things that, you know, can, can cause those cracks, but it tears at the commitment in the relationship. And so we're talking about uh, foundation. These are three things that make our foundation uh, vulnerable. So we're going to talk about the foundation of marriage. So we've titled today's sermon, obviously, The Foundation of Marriage. And we're going to talk about Adam and Eve. So let's talk about, let's take a look at that very first marriage. So as we turn to the account of the first man and woman, we see that oneness is God's design. The solid foundation. We talked about that. In this picture, we have uh, oneness. It's the cornerstone. It's the, the first block that's set to start that foundation. Everything else goes off of that. And yeah, so, so that's, that's really our main point. That's our this main morning, point. This morning, if you're taking yeah. notes, is that oneness is God's design for a solid foundation. Yep. So let's, let's look at Genesis 2 together. Uh, and we call this section alone. Jeff, you want to read that for us? Okay. So Genesis chapter 2, verses 18 to 20. That's our first section. Then the Lord God said, It's not good for a man to be alone. I will make a helper as his complement. Verse 19. So the Lord God formed out of the ground every wild animal and every bird of the sky and brought each to the man to see what he would call it. And whatever the man called a living creature, 
that was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, to the birds of the sky, and to every wild animal. But for the man, no helper was found to be his complement. So naming the animals, I, I find this interesting. Um, and I could just imagine in my mind, you know, God says, hey, I'm tasking you with this. This is yours. Be creative. And so Adam's standing there going, I mean, he's got to be excited. God's given me this. This is mine. And, and he just comes up with these awesome names, right? As, as he's standing there, they're going by. That's, that's a giraffe. That's a lion. He's just having fun with it, enjoying this. Because he spoke and, English, right? English, absolutely. Yeah. And, um, and so they're walking by, and he's, he's naming these names. And I can't help but think he's, he's got to be seeing, as God created all the animals, he's got to be seeing that there's male and female animals, birds, all these things going by as he's naming them. And over time here, as he's going through this, he's got to be feeling a little dejected maybe. Maybe he's going, well, this is, this is great, but not this one. Not this one. Not this one. Where's his? So this, just the significance of, of not this one is, as they're going by, it just pops into my head that um, God's done this great thing and he's given Adam this great task. And it's just kind of maybe getting dejected through this. Yeah, I wonder how long it that. took for him to start to feel alone or what the alone <laughs> experience was, you know, was like for him. Obviously, God looks at it and says, this isn't good. This isn't good. But, um, you know, like so much of your relationship is communication, you know. And as he's like a couple days into it, and he's like, oh, well, look at, look at this one. And he's like trying to talk to it. And, or, you know, I don't know what he would. <laughs> oh, no, not this one. You know, like the which I was thinking, you know, that actually might let me off the hook a little bit. Or maybe let man, men off the hook, you know. I mean, like where did we learn first to communicate, you know, anyways, Absolutely. right? All of our training was with animals, you know what I mean? And so, you know, the wife, she had people to communicate with from the, from the get-go. So I was thinking maybe there's a little, you know, way out. So God didn't speak English, <laughs> right? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. So most of our sitting there through that whole time, yeah, communicating with animals, and they're not able to communicate back. So also what, this question is, what if God didn't make a complimentary helper for us? What does that look like? I mean, so I've got, I've got a friend who uh, he and his wife like to take separate vacations. He's a hunter fisherman. She likes destination places. She likes to go to Hawaii, places like that. So they do separate vacations. Hmm. And we're leaving, my wife and I are leaving tomorrow for Hawaii, our first time going. And I can't imagine going without my wife. And there's no way I want her to go experience that without me. I mean, it's just that, that feeling like, I mean, Hawaii's cool, but I don't, even, I don't even care to go if she wasn't able to go with me. So I, I just imagine that. You know, what if God hadn't made um, that complimentary helper? So is it's that just, like your Eden? Like Hawaii's your Eden and you're I, imagining yourself? I guess so, What if I was but, just there in this beautiful place with this perfect solitude? And you're like, you know... Maybe I'd like my wife with me. Yeah. So would that mean that if, if Adam's there without Eve in this garden, that it becomes, instead of a paradise, more of a desert for him over mm -hmm. time? Mm -hmm. I mean, that's just interesting to think about. It could be. 
All right, well, we've looked at this first section, so we have Adam alone. All right, so what we're going to do is we're going to move into the next passage, verses, or the part of the passage, verse 21 and 23. And that next part of the section we call this one. So let's read this. Genesis 21 through 23. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to come over the man, and he slept. God took one of his ribs and closed the flesh at that place. Then the Lord God made the rib he had taken from the man into a woman and brought her to the man. And the man said, this one, at last, is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. This one will be called woman, for she was taken from man. So this just is a a great, uh, what pops into my head is like, you ever hear that term, like a match made in heaven? Um, this was a marriage made in heaven. It actually, it actually was. The man, the woman, the match was all God's own handiwork right there. I mean, he's, it's like uh, you get some of those toys that say made in wherever, Thailand or China. I mean, that was made in heaven. Like stamp it with the label. There you go. So also the rib, I think this is interesting. We talk about the rib and its implications. Um, First of all, it says in the text that uh, it was closed at that place. So I imagine there's there's no scar left there. So his strength didn't diminish, the man. And for all you women, our good looks are still there. It didn't affect his good looks. So we're good. But what is cool about this analogy of coming from the side is a picture of an equally yoked marriage. You know, they both had that relationship with God first. Um, Adam woke up from that. So this doesn't define our roles in marriage, but more so uh, shows our love for one another in a result of our love for God. So that's our important relationship. Husbands, our roles are to lead with humility and, and sacrifice and love and wiser to support and respect their husbands. But it's just a an interesting look at, at the rib and where it came from the side. And I, I think I read also an interesting note that, you know, it's under the armpit. I know that's gross, but it's more of talking about a wing of protection under the arm. And um, the, uh, the other part of it was not of the head so that woman could rule over man and not of the feet for her to be trampled upon. So it's, it's kind of specific from the side to be almost equal in that sense. I like this picture of Adam and lying there and waking up, you know, and as he, as he rolls over and he sees Eve, you know, for the first time. And what's the first words out of his mouth? This one. This one. <laughs> he was so, he's like, not this one. Not this one. And then he's like, this one. Th- at last. And uh, bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. This one will be called woman. For she was taken from man. So I like that. I think that embedded in there is his, his delight. Uh, seeing that, wow, here's somebody that I can, I can be with. Somebody that I can communicate with. And his delight in seeing her and her beauty. And uh, so that's just a really cool uh, so do you, do you wake up in the morning and turn over to Brittany and say, this one, 
Yeah. Because you can communicate now, It's like right? this. I'm just like, and you're, at last, yes. this one. <laughs> yeah. And she jumps out of bed. What are you talking about? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, we've uh, covered that little section of verses. We're going to go on to the next uh, few verses. And this section we called as one. So we had alone. We have this one. And now as one. And so it says in verse 24, this is why a man leaves the father and mother and bonds with his wife. And they become one flesh. Verse 25, both the man and his wife were naked and felt no shame. So we see Eve described through these different verses as first as a helper, then as a woman, and now for the first time as a wife. And I just, I just enjoy that. Not, I don't know that you really call it a progression because God made her as each of those. But it's just neat that those are defined throughout. And this one is wife because it's, it's now one flesh. And that one flesh meaning, this is the first time that's used as well. And it's used throughout the Bible in different passages, but it's mis- mentioned for the first time as a bond. It's a work of God. So I also, we talked, I, I heard you talk about covenants earlier um, when we began talking about the series coming. And, and so this also just reminds me that this is a, a covenant. Marriage is a covenant. It's not a contract. So a contract, there's no emotional bond in a contract. Okay? It's this for that. Um, there's, and it can be voided. Right? There's always a way out. Um, that's why we have lawyers and those type of people that can help you out of that stuff. Um, just teasing. But a covenant is an agreement where promises are made and it's solid. It's not made to be broken. And we have that example because God has given us those covenants and he's never wavered. It's never changed. Any of those, any of those covenants that he's, he's made with man. So we have that. We have those promises. So verse 24, it um, talks about a man and um, his wife. Uh, it says, this is why a man leaves his father and mother and bonds with his wife and they become one flesh. And we were thinking about how the, the husband and wife relationship is, is one that uh, becomes pulled away, right, from the relationships that uh, prevailed before. It becomes its own unique, supreme relationship uh, between a man and a, and a woman. And there's this intentional leaving, uh, separating, and, and uh, releasing from the, the relationships to mother and father, the provision and the care and the um, um, authority of, of those uh, mother and father relationships above. And, and the marriage relationship needs to continue to be invested into as, as c- being continually built into uh, and, and, and fed, I guess mm-hmm. is what I was thinking. Even when kids come into the picture, it's also easy to to begin to cleave to your kids and make your kids and, and, now, and uh, the, the supreme. But we really have to work at building into this oneness that we have with our spouse. So, um, I know Melissa and I have this saying that it's just you and me, babe. So we were married for almost five years before we had kids. And we hope to be married a lot more years after our kids are all out of the house. 
and we're almost to that point. But so that saying to one another is that this relationship is what God's intending for us to put our focus on. Yes, there's at times where kids take the priority or parents even for that point, that matter. So we need to re remember that. But if we're not good with it, with one another, then we can't actually have good relationships the other direction as well. Yeah. So looking at this first marriage, I think there's so many things that we could glean out of it. Uh, the, the last verse for our section uh, of verses that we're reading today is verse 25, and it says, both the man and his wife were naked, yet felt no shame. You know, and I, it made me think, naked and unafraid. And I just I was thinking, like, look at the beauty and the, uh, the, the freedom, I guess, in this perfect marriage this first marriage, you know, between Adam and Eve. In this perfect union between Adam and Eve with perfect love and perfect perspective and perfect peace with God and each other, there was no shame to feel. You know, and I think that's big. Shame, embarrassment, self-consciousness, fear, we're not in the picture. And that's cool. That is cool. Notice there's a progression towards oneness in Adam's experience. And we kind of talked about that in our sections that we titled Alone, to this one, and finally to oneness. So God knew all along that we're not good alone. I'm not good alone. But we had to walk through some of these things, these stages, these, these phases, to learn the value of oneness with a spouse. And that oneness first comes with God, that relationship, that foundation and, and easily is transferred over to our marriage. So now that we've looked at this narrative, let's, let's kind of expand on a picture of oneness by defining what we mean um, and, and asking what do we learn uh, about God in this. So if you're writing down uh, any notes, a simple definition, I just want to give you a simple definition of oneness. Spiritual, emotional, physical harmony. All right, spiritual Emotional and physical harmony. Uh, that's what we mean when we're talking about oneness. So we've basically spent some time looking at, at Adam and Eve and, and, and his progression from, from alone to now, now having oneness. But it's, it's oneness with another person. To become one flesh, obviously there's still two people. You know what I mean? And so when you say they're two people, but they're one flesh, obviously there's something unique happening here, something um, significant uh, for us to, to learn from. It's, it's um, yeah, so I, th I like the word harmony in the definition that we're given. Spiritual, emotional, physical harmony. Because harmony is such a great word for this, because as we we've talked about harmony, I think, a little bit before, but... Harmony itself provides an analogy. It's a, it's a picture of two unique things uh, functioning together. And so if uh, you think about it in, um, well, the, the thing about harmony is it's like you could have it in, in color, you could have it in art, uh, you can have it in music, and that's the one I'm most familiar with, you know. But when you have harmony, you have two notes resonating in its own individuality, alongside of another note that's played at the same time. And together, the harmony that's created creates a, a whole new thing. 
It's a whole new experience. And so uh, I got this off the internet. It says a combination, harmony is a combination of parts into a pleasing or orderly whole. It speaks of uh, congruity, a relationship in which various components exist together without destroying one another. Each one still has its individual value and individual character. And let's go to... um, And so, but we have these two being woven together still unique but now that there's now that they're together there's this new purpose uh, a new purpose in their togetherness and that purpose is is their joy their joy together god's glory and for the benefit the ultimate benefit of others so we have a significance together as one so the new sound that's created when they operate in harmony well The thing is, in life, that's not easily obtained. I mean, it's simple enough to say, we could tell you what marriage, the foundation of your marriage should be. It's oneness and it's harmony between you and your spouse in the area of spiritual, emotional, and and, and the physical realm. But moving towards spiritual harmony with another individual, well, that's a monumental task. Moving towards emotional harmony with another person is a big undertaking, right? Moving towards physical harmony is a big process. So this is body, soul, and spirit moving towards oneness with another person in a covenant relationship. Harmony requires each piece to be present to be drawn out and appreciated for its personality, its character, its passion, its own resonance. And as both male and female display their own quality, it's the way which those unique pieces sound when they come together and move apart, but find balance in an orderly congruity that it becomes delightful, becomes useful, God loves harmony. He's the master of harmony. But here's the hope that we have. The hope that we have is that oneness is possible. And it's a worthy goal to pursue. Because as you move closer to it, you're going to be better for it. God is going to be glorified in it. And others are going to experience the benefit of you having harmony and oneness with your spouse or you encouraging and pushing others in your life towards oneness so we have a little bit more to say about this but really it comes down to a decision a commitment that i'm going to do this god's way i'm going to go god's way in this marriage covenant not my own way I'm going to choose to view things, and I'm going to choose to value things, and I'm going to operate God's way. Mm-hmm. John? So you've got a great verse here that goes along with that, and it's behind us, but I'm going to read it. So Romans 15:5. Now may the God who gives endurance and encouragement allow you to live in harmony with one another according to the command of Christ Jesus. 
Christ comes first, and harmony with him, and we do that through our marriage. So let's talk about Cornerstone. We, we touched on a little bit earlier, and um, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to touch on it now a little further, but uh, it's, it reminds me uh, of the Cornerstone of a foundation. We talked about this a little bit, but the, my slides are skipping here. Um, Isaiah, put these back on, 28, 16, Therefore the Lord God said, Look, I have laid a stone in Zion, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation. The one who believes will be unshakable. Unshakable. So this is the first stone laid in, in the building's foundation. It serves as a reference point where all the other stones are laid out. Okay, And it's crucial for the stability of the building and the framing and everything else that happens on top of it. It all starts from that cornerstone. So just as a cornerstone is crucial for the stability of a building, marriage acts as a foundation for a strong and lasting relationship, an unshakable relationship, oneness. Yeah, I like that picture. It's so helpful to, like, that's what it means to do it God's way, is I'm going yeah. to pursue it in line with the, the cornerstone. I'm going to, yeah, we're going to talk G- more about giving it. Giving up your way and going God's way and letting him be that first stone laid, that foundation of everything in your life. So, yeah. So we got this out of uh, Matthew Henry's commentary. I'm going to read this, but the question is, what do we learn about God from this passage? So, this, this uh, quote is, God's gifts to us are to be received with a humble, thankful acknowledgement of his wisdom in suiting them to us and his favor and bestowing them on us. So I really love this quote because it refers to, to God's wisdom and favor or love. And, and so we want to explore those a little further, the, the wisdom and the love. Yeah, you can stay, stay on that quote for a second. So like, I really think when we're talking about doing it God's way and we're talking about lining up with his, his, the cornerstone, I think there's two pieces in here that we just want to draw out uh, this morning with you. And it refers back to this quote. It's his wisdom and his love. And I think that if those are the, the hallmarks in your, in, in your, your pursuit in, in your marriage, of, in building your foundation and investing into it, then you, you really can't go wrong. So these are kind of like big umbrella, uh, clock, I don't know what to call them, hallmarks that we're going to, uh, you're going to find that they, they kind of infect or they, they affect everything, every piece. So, you know, his, his oneness. We see that his wisdom is on display. He sees what Adam's situation is. And he knows what Adam needs. Like, he understands the suitability issue. He has the perfect mate in mind for, for Adam and, and, and for Eve. And so he, his wisdom is there. And I think that we got to be careful that uh, we are willing to submit our, our understanding to God's wisdom. God knows what Adam needed. He knows what we really need. Mm-hmm. Right? He knows what we really need. And I think sometimes we get these ideas about what we need, uh, what our spouse uh, should look like, 
how much money our spouse should make, what they should uh, do for a li- Like, we, we build these scenarios. I don't know, have in- did anybody do that ever? You know, maybe before you got married, when you were young, have a list of the perfect spouse. None of you are going to admit this? All right, raise your hand if you've ever made a list of the perfect spouse. Okay, come on. Nate never did? Yes, you did. Yes, you did. So, All right, so. So looking back at verse 18 where we started this, um, Genesis 2.18, the Lord God said, it is not good for man to be alone. I, he took it upon himself, I will make a helper as his complement. So the word I in verse 18, this is, this is the creator's fatherly concern for Adam's comfort. Yeah, that's cool. I mean, that's, that's God saying, mm-hmm. I want you to be okay. Yeah. I love you. Yeah. That's the wisdom and love of God right there on display. So, right. So we need to seek his wisdom. We need to submit to his wisdom. And like you were talking about, we see his love on display. And his, God's compassion is, is on display in this as he, he, as he has that, that concern. So love, though, becomes this bonding force. It's the bonding agent, right, in the foundation of a solid marriage. Love. I mean, you might have guessed, like, if you knew you were going to church service today and they were going to talk about marriage, you th- think the pastor might mention love, right? Like, it's, it's obvious, and yet the love that we are, the, the benchmark that we're being held to is this um, uh, self-sacrificing and, and pure, genuine love. And it's way easier said than done, Right? But we need to keep genuine, self-sacrificing love as the chief aim. It's the key ingredient in our relationship. I want to read 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 13, verses 4 through 8. Because this is the benchmark. Love is kind. Oops. Maybe I should really read it. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy. Is not boastful. Is not conceited does not act improperly, is not selfish, is not provoked, does not keep a record of wrongs. Love finds no joy in unrighteousness, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. So when you love like this, you build into the foundation of your marriage. You make it stronger and stronger. So we seek to submit. We seek to submit to God's wisdom. Uh, Let's call that one line down the cornerstone, one line down the foundation, and we pursue his love. These are going to help you align Yourself, it'll help us align ourselves with the, the cornerstone who sets the foundation, who marks out the lines that we need, the lines that we align ourselves with in the hopes of building or rebuilding a marriage that brings you joy, that glorifies God, and benefits others. So when you start to feel the pressures pressing down, twisting at, or creeping underneath, your marriage, come back to these commitments, the commitment to seek God's wisdom, 
Choose the path of godly love. Because these are going to reestablish for you where you need to focus. They're going to point you to the paths that you need to walk down to really pursue oneness in your marriage. So, do you need an extreme makeover in your marriage? Do I need an extreme makeover in our marriage? Well, the first question is, let's look at your foundation. How is your foundation? Does it look like oneness? Because if you use oneness as the test, as the, the test, you might be able to see some warning signs. Some warning signs that your marriage might need a makeover. But this is the most important relationship, so look at it. Look and see if you're moving towards oneness. Because if there's areas in your marriage that you've just chosen to not move towards oneness, I'm suggesting that you still have some work to do. And that it's worth doing the work to figure out why you just simply can't get on the same page on these things, these areas. And the areas are, I mean, you could probably list them for me, right? Finances, how we're going to view the in-laws, what's going to be the priority in your marriage, what are you going to focus on? So, so as we wrap things up, we, we've got some, some kind of common questions that you're going to see throughout this series, and so we're going to share those with you so you can write those down if you want to. The first one is, what does this mean for me? And like I said, this is throughout the series. You'll see these, so see how these apply. What does this mean for me? The next one, what does this mean for my relationship, my family? And the third one, what does this mean for us, crossroads? So where, where's oneness in these? What does it mean for me, my relationship, and for us? So the last thing we want to leave you guys with is, you know, the picture of oneness for Jeff and I, that's what the picture of oneness looks like for, for us. Christ at the center. As a young guy over there, had a little more on top, a little less down below. <laughs> we're blocking you. Well, this is what we're going to leave you with. So, um, What we're going to do is we're going to invite up Dennis. Uh, Dennis is going to lead us in prayer this morning. And so we just want to uh, thank you for joining us in this series. And we encourage you to, to keep coming back and worshiping with us. And let's pray with Dennis.